This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. Hey, thank you guys. Man, oh man, it's a privilege to be here. Thank you so much for welcoming my family and I. I work for Chi Alpha. My wife and I work for Chi Alpha. It's a college ministry. We work at the University of Auburn, so just a hop and a skip away, like three and a half hours. And it's beautiful. We love reconciling students to Christ, going on campus, sharing the gospel. But more than the privilege of my life, it's a privilege to be here. It's a privilege to be here. So let's just jump in the word. Would you guys join with me to go to Genesis chapter 2? Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. I'm going to open up my Bible. And by the time I open it up, more than likely, you will have opened it up with me. What's so hard about Genesis chapter 2 is that it's right at the beginning of the Bible. So my Bible keeps wanting to close on itself. You know what I mean? And you're like, ah, I got to hold it open. Wonderful. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. Amen. This morning, we're just going to talk about the topic of work, work, like labor, your job. Uh, I love this topic. I've been studying it for years. Um, I think it's amazing. If you think about it with me, you will spend, on average, around 4% of your entire life at church which is actually a lot when you think about it. You spend three or four hours every Sunday, and if you're like a super Christian, you go to something during the week, you know, like a worship night or a prayer night or a small group, check those out. And that's another two to three hours. So it's like six to eight hours a week. But at the end of your life, that's only three or 4%. And there's something about the way that we talk about God in church that can sometimes make us think that God only cares about what you do in church. And you compare that to how much you'll work in a week, 30, 40 hours, you're Japanese, 60 hours. I'm so happy I'm not Japanese in that case. You know what I mean? Now, wouldn't it be a shame, honestly, if we lived our entire lives feeling like only 4% of it was devoted to the Lord? You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we put such an emphasis on what we do in church. It's kind of like, get to church, get here, serve here. And then it feels like maybe God doesn't care quite as much about what we do with our jobs and our families. And so I almost kind of want to bring some dignity back and to encourage you to understand that God cares about your work. God cares about it. The word work was used three times in that little passage. Now, what's so interesting is everyone here probably has already read Genesis chapter 1. Just to go backwards a little bit, we see what was God's work. He said he ceased from his work. What did he do that was his job? Well, he he spoke the world into existence. And it's incredible. He spoke light into existence. He created the sky. He made dry land appear. He filled the oceans. It says, my Bible says it was teeming with animals. What a lovely word, teeming. Like all this life right underneath the surface, about to burst forth. He made animals walk the dry land after their own kinds. Wondrous and creative. This was God's work. Small question here. Who here would have the creativity to make a giraffe? 
Can you imagine God like in his workshop? And he has like this base animal body type, and he just kind of puts one head on the one like fingers on the head, and another set of fingers on the torso, and he's just like, no, that's it's not quite. It's not bad. And just kind of keeps going, you know, like how creative that is. Or a lion, or a whale, or a mouse. How brilliant our God is. And this was his work. How amazing that is. But we, we can't stop in the story of what God's work is because we also know that God, at the pinnacle, the summit of all of this, he made man and woman. He made us in his image and in his likeness. And theologians have talked for a long time about what does it even mean to be made in God's image and his likeness? Well, I think some of it, that question, what does it mean to be made in God's image and likeness, can be answered with the question of, well, what do we know about God so far? We see that he brought life out of darkness, beauty out of chaos, and order out of things that were not. And so he made us in his image and likeness, and so we see a small picture of what you and I were meant to be like, of the kind of work that you and I are supposed to do, that we are here placed on this world to bring life out of darkness, beauty out of chaos, order out of everything that isn't. I love this small picture. Imagine an apple tree. Imagine an apple tree in nature in some valley left alone all by itself. In a hundred years, you'd probably see a, a cluster of apple trees because God made things work and it brings out life. But now place a couple there and say, your job is to work this valley and make more apple trees. How many trees would be there in a hundred years? A whole orchard. And there's all this untapped potential in everything that you and I do with the Lord. And we see in this story of Genesis chapter 2 that God placed a man in a garden to work it and to keep it. What I love about that realization is that far from work being something like a necessary evil that we have to do in order to make ends meet, we see it's something that happened before the fall. So upon work is imbued all of the dignity and honor and purpose that God had before things went wrong. We were made to work. And we were made to work because our God is a worker and our work matters to him. How incredible is that? Our God is a worker and our work matters to him. Oh man, I'm so amazed by that. So uh, who here, or rather, let me tell you about my dad. My dad was a carpenter, and I loved my dad. He would uh, make windows, and he would make floors and ceilings. Uh, I remember him working on roofs a lot, and I was a little guy. I mean, does anyone ever, did anyone ever, like, have to go up a ladder and, like, carry a 30-pound pallet of, like, roofing tiles up to their dad? And the heat's shining and reflecting off the roof, so it just hits your face, and you're sweating. You can't see, and you have to carry this 30-pound thing onto a, like a roof. It was so dangerous. I, it was crazy. But has anyone here ever had like a dad that ever like worked hard all the time? Oh, man, I love it. Dads work hard. 
Dad's worked really hard. And something that I love about my dad is that he would teach me how to work hard. He was always working, always working. And I don't think I really could blame him. Uh, my uh, grandparents, his parents, they immigrated from Mexico. And naturally, they didn't have much. So they were always working. My dad would always teach me, son, you're always wearing a different hat. You never stop working, son. You're always going to do something different. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, my dad works hard. And in that way, our, our parents teach us what work is like. And it, it's a beautiful thing. Because our Heavenly Father is a worker too. And our work matters to him. To kind of make a point with this, I want to give you just a snapshot. We're in travel and history in the Bible. I want to give you a snapshot of the Israelites. Right? So in the storyline of the Bible, we've traveled thousands of years, and we have these Israelites who've just been emancipated from slavery. They had spent 400 years in Egypt, right? And God judged the nation that was controlling them. And they come out, right? And they go to Mount Sinai, and they make a covenant with God, an agreement with God. And of those people, we see that God chose one-twelfth of them to be priests. One-twelfth. Keep that in mind, one twelve. Why is that a big deal? Well, priests were a big deal, right? They were a really big deal. They were in charge of making the tabernacle where God would meet with his people, and they were in charge of helping people come and meet God. And there was all these rituals and sacrifices that had to be maintained and paid attention to because God was a holy God. And we have so much textual real estate in the Bible devoted to just that. But I want you to take notice of this, is that one-twelfth were priests, meaning what? That eleven-twelfths were not priests. What were they doing? Right? What were they doing? They were probably, I have a small list I wrote down. They were probably woodworkers, tent makers, basket weavers, Water carriers, butchers, not too many of those. Bakers, a whole lot of those because of manna. Teachers, hunters, people who were involved in social reform, judges. But God called all of Israel his treasured possession. His treasured possession. And what's that's so beautiful about that is that you didn't have to be a priest in order to be his. And your job didn't have to be overtly religious in order for it to be sacred or precious or pure. Now, don't get me wrong. The most important thing we could ever do for somebody, the most loving thing we could ever do is share the gospel with them. That is the most loving thing we could do. That's the way we can love the Lord our God, and that's the way we can love our neighbor. But I think another way we can love each other and love society is by being good workers, I love what this one theologian told me. He said, James, do you know that each time you ask for your daily bread, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? Give us our daily bread. It's a little bit lying down there. That you're not only praying for food for your family, but you're praying a blessing over the grocery store that sells you the bread, the trucks that transfer the bread, and the factory that made the bread. Every single time you ask God, Bless me with my bread. You're actually also praying a blessing over everyone else who's involved with getting that bread to you. Does God not care about those jobs? Does he not care about that kind of work? My hope and my, to, for y'all to understand is the dignity that's involved with everyone's job. 
every single one of them. And so I, I look in this crowd and I'm curious, what kind of jobs are here? How beautiful is that? We have teachers, professors, maybe some photographers. Man, I, I wasn't making the list. Principals. Oh, Eric, he's gone. But principals, software engineers, maybe a farmer or two. I wonder if there's a farmer in here. How beautiful that is. Servers, HVAC repairmen. We need air conditioning. I know I need air conditioning. Life is just not very good without it, let me tell you. And then we look around Jesus' lifetime in the Bible. And we have another snapshot where we see the apostles, and most of them were blue-collar workers. Jesus was a blue-collar worker. How incredible that is. When you think about the plan for the salvation of all humankind, how many of us would put that person in his preparatory years on a carpenter's block? Incredible. I like to imagine Jesus when he was a young man because when Jewish boys were 12 years old. They became apprentices of their father. And so Jesus had a stepfather, Joseph, who was a carpenter. Can you imagine Jesus saying, hey, can I touch the saw? <laughs> I just want to touch that saw. Don't touch that saw, Jesus. Okay, you know, he's obedient. He was obedient. Or he, uh, maybe he messed up a table for the first time. We got chisel and a hammer. And he just went way too deep on it, made a crack all the way down the middle, cost the family two weeks worth of money, you know? I just think it's funny to think about that. And what's so important about these stories and these realizations is that there's all this dignity to jobs that aren't overtly religious. There's all of this part of being sacred unto God. I've found in my small amount of time that the only jobs that God doesn't like are the ones that cause you to sin. Those are the only jobs. But everything else is good. And so my question to you this morning is I want you to think, what does God think of your job? And if we're made to be like him, what does he think about how you do your job? Do you bring life out of darkness? Do you bring beauty out of chaos? Do you bring order out of things that weren't? That's the kind of work that our God wants us to do. We bring life everywhere we go, where we share the gospel with people and also with the quality of the jobs we do. It's beautiful. There's a, there's a, I think a part of how we think about this is that there's a lie that we typically believe that we're sold, this lie in American culture, and it revolves around one word, more, more. The idea is we always need more and we're never satisfied. And so instead of a privilege or a blessing, our jobs become hard labor, becomes a curse. And there's these two or three mindsets that I just kind of want to quickly bring up in front of you that I think if we can get out of these, get out of these mindsets, we can work for God and it'd be full of life and peace and joy. The first mindset is something I call the idolatry of the workplace. The idolatry of the workplace. It doesn't mean there's a statue in your corner office. I think it just means work is your God. Work is your God. Far from God being a worker, therefore, I want to be a worker too. This makes work everything. Everything. Amber and I were, were college missionaries, and we see this a lot with, like, incoming freshmen. Because their jobs as students is school. School's their job. We try to tell them that. We actually encourage them to do a good job. Excellent students for an excellent God. That's what we say. But they make school their everything. 
and God's kind of pushed down to the side. Their families are pushed down to the side. They're overly concerned and full of anxiety about how they perform, always seeking acceptance from others and hoping that their accomplishments will bring validity into their lives. What's so wild is it, it, we bring it into the adult world too. We're so concerned sometimes. And I think it's not a bad, it's just made too, we make too much of something. We make too much of work. We're so concerned about getting that promotion or seeing our bank account get bigger and bigger and bigger. And we think that just maybe there'll be a day where we can rest when we think we have enough. And what a beautiful reminder it is to know that because of Jesus, we already have enough. I have peace before I go to my shift. I have peace because I have God in my life. I don't have to believe in the idea I need more things and therefore I need to work harder and hopefully I'll get there. I have a God who's already more than enough for me. And so I can put work in its proper place. What's so sad is that the Bible in Ecclesiastes says something about the man or woman who makes work their God. And it pities them. It said, what a pity it is to see that person work their entire life and never enjoy it. Right? What a shame it would be when God's inviting you and I to work with him in this world where if we replace him with our work and only end up filling our lives with anxiety, depression. And so I want to get past all that. We don't have to make God our work. And my question to the person who has made work their God is, if God can rest, can't you? If God can rest, can't you? I know there's so many families in here, and just a small little sidelight is because there's so many families, I want you to understand that as a parent, as a spouse, there is no one else in this world that can do your job at home. There is no one else that can do your job. No one can be the wife to your husband. No one can be the husband to your wife. No one can be the dad or mom to your kids. But a very jarring truth is to remember that at your job, there's probably a lot of people who can do what you do. And my encouragement is don't trade in something that a lot of other people can do for something else that no one else can do. If, if idolatry of the workplace and idolatry of your job is your problem, I would say just rest. Trust God with your work as you trust God with your family. Now, there's idolatry of the workplace, and then there's the other kind, which is almost in the far spectrum. Instead of saying making work too much, this one makes work too little. It's called the immorality of the workplace, the two eyes, idolatry and morality. Uh, and man, all this really says is, I'm going to do as little as possible and get as much as possible. If half of our college students deal with making school too much, the other half deal with the problem of like, I'm going to do the bare minimum here. No one, no one can tell me to do anything. Uh, and it's, it's an attitude of getting instead of receiving. And it's so antithetical to who God is, who puts so much intentionality into the work that he has right? Every single one of us are made beautifully and wonderfully in God's image and likeness. I don't think I can speak to one of you without really being awed of what God has put inside of you. All of that intentionality, all of that purpose, all that intelligence, drive, shouldn't we bring that to the work that we do? One small thing I like to tell our students when they get jobs particularly is stay off of your phone 
get off of your phone, please, get off of your phone. And they always kind of go like, why, you know? We're not doing anything at the job place. I'm like, think about it. Just think about it with me. You signed a contract saying, from this time to this time, you're going to work. And in exchange, you're going to get money. That's what you did. And we all know it's about the money. If you're on your phone and you're not working, aren't you technically stealing from your boss? A lot of them have never thought of that. I mean, some of them still don't care. But hey, I told them. You know what I mean? And I found the old adage is true. You find some man on the railroad stealing railroad spikes. You give him an education. In a couple of years, he'll find a way to steal the whole railroad. <laughs> you know? And so this idea of like getting instead of giving, it can turn into, honestly, just outright stealing. There's something lying around in the office that no one's going to miss. You could use it at home. Why not take it? It's not yours. Or we start fiddling on our taxes. No one's going to know. After all, I have an attitude of getting and not giving. There's a passage of scripture in 1 Thessalonians that I think is just a jarring truth that contrasts this. If you're interested in knowing, oh, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10 through 12. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Yeah, college students need to hear that. And I need to hear that too. Far from teaching in the negative, I just wanted to share that God cares about your work. He cares about your job as he cares about your family and he cares about your devotional life. He cares about you because our God is a worker and your work matters to him. The last thing I just wanted to share is sometimes this idea that I have felt kind of growing up in the church and that is that unless you're the pastor, your job really doesn't matter to God. I personally believe that God would rather have a really awesome taxi cab driver than a really bad missionary. I really believe that because our God's a worker and he cares about the work that we do. And there is so much dignity that he wants us to have in our lives when we go to our workplace. We often talk about carrying God's presence wherever we go. So why not take his wonder-making, world-creating power to our jobs. Take them with us in how you teach students and how you spend your time with your coworkers. You know, the quality of work that you create. And, and especially, my, my wife, she's, she's so wonderful. She spends so much time at home in all this transition that we're doing with our son. I mean, her job is taking care of our baby boy. And she needs to know that as a mom, there's so much dignity at being home. And there's so much dignity in me being home and taking turns so she can get out. You know what I mean? We got to take turns every now and then. But there's so much dignity because our God is a worker. Jesus in John chapter 5 said, in response to healing a man on the Sabbath and getting criticism from others because he, he did that and told him to pick up his mat and walk, he said, my father is working until now. 
and I am working. And people were so angry because he made himself equal with the Father in that sense. And he's talking about lives. But do you notice that he met a practical need? He met a practical need. And I feel like our God's so practical. And he cares about your jobs. He cares about your life. Our God's been working until now, redeeming people out of sin and darkness, bringing life and order and beauty. And we do that with how we share Jesus, but we also do that with how we work in our jobs. So I'm just so grateful to be with you guys, and I hope my message will encourage you and let you know that God cares about you. He cares about your family, and he cares about your work. Thank you. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurch.com.